Well, good morning and howdy. How is everybody today? Man, it's good to see you, fam. Mike, how we doing this morning? I'm so glad to hear it. Steve, how are we? You good? Oh, man, I'm so glad to see you all. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Miss Amy Blazik, how are you, girl? Man, it's great to see you guys. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. Missed you, missed you, missed you. Welcome home. I'm Josh, one of the ministers, and it's good to be together celebrating Jesus. Amen? Man, that's good. That's good. I almost wish, and some of you have told me this, I almost wish that we could just sing more and preach less, and some of you are going, yes and amen. So... But I'm paid to do this, so we're going to get into it, shall we? All right, let's get into the text. Oh, one last thing. I need to say this. Last week, I'm so grateful that Evan led our teaching last Sunday. He and his family, they're out of town today, but I'm just so grateful for him and the good work he did and allowing my family and I to be able to do a bit of a, um, well, a little home tour. Uh, Last weekend, we went up to, no, no, don't do that yet. That's scary. We went up to uh, Indiana where my wife was born and raised. She was born in Indianapolis or raised there. And, you know, my kids, because we live close to Nashville, they've seen my stomping ground. But uh, whenever we go to Indiana, we always go to Bloomington, which is where her parents and grandparents live, but not up to where she grew up, which is Indianapolis. And for a long time, we've wanted them to see where they came from on that side of the family as well. And Lindsay's folks are about to move actually from Bloomington to Chattanooga. So, hey, welcome them when they come. But so we realized this may be our last shot to get up there, kind of look around. So we took the kids on the Lindsay Diggs historical home tour last weekend. And if you've ever been on one of these, I know a lot of us, you maybe you have parents like, oh, this is where I grew up and this is what I did. And you're, you're trying to be polite, but you really don't care. <laughs> but as you get older, you look back and you go, man, that was meaningful because I can now see the things that brought my mom or my dad to be who they are. And so we, we looked around the Castleton area. We saw some of the homes. We saw that one beautiful home that she was in as just a little girl that had that beautiful tree in front of it that had these golden flowers. So when the sun came through the, the flowers into her bedroom, there was this, this beautiful pink, excuse me, not gold, but pink hue in her room. She then showed us the house. She's like, that's the house that had the pool in it that, that I had the privilege of cleaning all the time, which is why she said, Josh, we will never have a pool. Because I don't want to have to mess with that again. We saw the house that she was living in when I met her. And when her mom tried to uh, run me off, it didn't work. So here we are today. I, we saw the places that she used to grow up and go and do. In fact, we did see uh, one of the parks that she grew up in, this one right here. And this is all new equipment, but we got to look around and the kids were thrilled to get a play on the equipment. We got to go to this beautiful symphony on the prairie where every year they have this massive 4th of July celebration with fireworks and music. And so we were out there, beautiful night. They're playing all of the old uh, patriotic songs. They have giant howisters, cannons, huge cannons blowing up, shooting. And then at the very end, the climax of the show where they're supposed to have all of the fireworks going off, they get started. But the problem is in the distance and and shortly not distance is a massive storm coming. So lightning is flashing as they're playing. They stop. They say, hey, we love y'all. Go away. It's dangerous. So we're running to our car as the fireworks are going off and lightning. It was epic. It was a great time. There's something, though, that's very special about letting those who come after you see where you came from. And isn't it true that often we know who we are based on where those who came before us are from? 
It's like all of a sudden you start to put the pieces together. It's like, oh, I see why mom and dad value that. And I see why it's a value in our family when we can see where we came from. There is value in knowing your stories. Because if you know where you came from, you'll know where you're going. This is what God desires of his kids so much. He says, we have a family photo album full of stories. And I want you to know where you came from. Because if you know what I did, God says, in the past... You'll have confidence of what I can do in the future. And this is what he shares with us by inspiring the writer of Psalm 78. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read these verses, just a few of them from Psalm 78. If you will stand as we read verse 1 through 8 of this beautiful psalm. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known. Things, notice this, our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. Time out. The reason God has given you children is that they may know God and put their trust in him. They're not an accessory on your arm. Your children are not there to make you look good at the ball field. Your children are given to you by God so that you can share with them the goodness of God so that they may trust him for eternity. He goes on to say this. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for giving us the stories of your faithfulness. May we be faithful with those stories and share them with the next generation and the generation after that. Help us to tell the stories and have great stories to tell. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, if you're taking notes, here it is. Are you ready? Here's the big idea. Tell them the stories. Next slide. Tell them the stories. This is the big idea of the scripture. Tell them the stories. When you walk along, when you wake up, when you go to bed, tell them the stories. God wants you and wants me to know the stories, to hear the stories. And he says, I want you to tell them the stories. What stories do you want us to tell? Well, tell them the stories of a man named Abraham who I called out of obscurity. He was in a pagan country, a pagan land, but I told him I'm doing something new with him that will bless not only generations, but the world through him. Tell how I gave he and his wife, who were beyond the years of childbearing, how I gave them a son named Isaac. Tell them the story. Tell them the story of this man named Joseph, who was betrayed by his jealous brothers, sold into slavery, sent down into Egypt. And tell the story of how, because of what I did, I put him next to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. 
And through my work in Joseph, Pharaoh knew a famine was coming and he was prepared for the famine. And through him, not only would Israel be saved, but the nations around them. So that when Joseph's brothers experiencing famine where they were came to Egypt, they saw their brother, were reconciled to him. Tell the stories, tell the story of centuries later when the new Pharaoh did not know of Joseph and what he did for Egypt and how this Pharaoh now enslaves God's people and they cried out, tell the story, how I heard their cry and through a man named Moses brought liberation through signs and wonders and plagues on the land. Tell the story how I brought them out of Egypt over the Red Sea through the wilderness providing for their needs with quail for food and water. How I directed them through signs and wonders. Tell them the stories. Now why do you tell them the stories? Because that's not the only Pharaoh that has ever lived. There will be future pharaohs. Sure, they won't look the same. They won't dress the same. But believe me, there will be pharaohs. So if you know how God dealt with wicked men in the past, you'll know how God deals with wicked men in the future. Tell them the stories. Tell them the stories of Joshua, a man who was not special in his own right, but God used him to bring people into the promised land over the Jordan River. And they came face to face with the greatest city, the greatest fortified city in history, Jericho, whose walls were impenetrable, whose armies could be undefeated. Tell them the story how they could not, through their own strength, destroy or topple the walls, but through obedience, walked around the walls. And when I commanded them, they simply worshipped and worshipped and worshipped. And I brought down the walls that no human army could bring down. Why do we tell the story? Because, friends, the city, the symbol of cultural power and evil, is still here today. And God is still bringing down the walls of evil cultures, not through the might of his people, but through the worship of his people. Tell them the stories. Tell them the stories of the Midianites and tell them the stories of Gideon and how they were facing a much larger army with a very small army, but God through his power brought victory. We are in danger of forgetting our stories. So you tell your children the story so that the stories of our heart become the stories of their heart. So that when they open their mouths to speak truth, the stories we have told them about God's faithfulness are the first things that come out. The world wants to put all sorts of stories and narratives into the lives of our children. The Lord says, don't you let those be the stories they hear. Let the stories of my faithfulness be the ones that they know deep in their bones. Tell them the stories. In Psalm 78, inspired by God's Holy Spirit... Psalm 78 fights this very important, very dangerous American sin. Go to the next one. No, no, keep coming. Psalm 78. Keep going. One more. There we go. It fights the sin of forgetfulness. Psalm 78 fights the sin of forgetfulness. If you were to say, Josh, what is the American sin? I would not tell you it's slavery, although that's evil. I would not say it's abortion, although I'd say that's evil. I will not say that it is this sin or that sin. I would tell you that it all starts from this one sin, that we've forgotten who our God is. And I'm not talking only nationally. I'm saying Josh Diggs. The sin of my heart is I forget I'm not God. He is. Anyone else want to give an oh yeah to that? And so Psalm 78 plays this memory game. Don't forget because throughout Psalm 78, he recounts the moments, but the people forget the moments. The people forget. See, God understood he was going to bring them into a land that they did not earn. 
He would put them in homes they did not build, give them fields that they would harvest but that they did not plant. And they would be dangerously close to forgetting that they did not do it, but God gave it to them. And God knew there would come a day because of their prosperity, they would forget him and they would begin to think it was based on how good they were and how smart they were and their effort and their energy. And look what we have done. Forget God. And so God says, don't forget. You see, in the Old Testament, there's a cycle that keeps playing out over and over and over again. In fact, this is the cycle. If you know this one cycle, you'll know the history of the world. This one cycle tells a story of everything that has been and everything that will be until the return of Jesus Christ. The cycle begins with this, where God saves. He comes to a man named Abraham and he calls him out of pagan worship to salvation. He invites him in. God calls a man named Moses. He calls a man named Joseph. He calls, he saves, and God's people respond and they bond to God. They love God and he loves them. God saves. The story begins. And as a result, when we have right relationship with God, When we do things as God designs and demands, we then experience the blessing of God. God's people are blessed throughout the Old Testament when they bond to God. But what happens? Over time, they get comfortable with their relationship and they begin to think that what they have is based on their effort and their energy. And so God's people then forget God. They forget what he has done. They forget his goodness and his kindness and they begin to rebel against him and they serve other gods. And so God... Like a good parent does not allow disobedience to go on because that leads to destruction. Instead, God lovingly disciplines them. How many of us love discipline? How many of us grew up with parents who were really good at disciplining? Don't raise your hand. Just leave it down. They may be in the room. Mine are. So God disciplines them. He brings nations, foreign oppressors, people who will enslave them, who will harm them. And it is not because God hates Israel. It's not because God is wanting to destroy his people. It's because he knows if they're left to go their own way, they will destroy themselves far worse than anything he could bring on. And so then they cry out. And this is the fifth motion. This is the fifth point where his people repent. They turn back to God and God in his kindness does what? Well, he now saves them. He comes back and he draws them in. This is the story of the history of the world. And this happens over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. In fact, if you're like me, you read this and you just kind of go, why don't they get this? I mean, come on. If I were them... I wouldn't need to be told over and over and over again, would I? And the answer is, yes, I would. How do I know that? Because as a child, I was told over and over and over again. And as an adult, God continually has to remind me over and over and over again what he desires and the way things are supposed to be. This is the story of the world. It's like what that great philosopher George Santayana used to say. He said, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. Because they just didn't tell the stories. Now, I think a lot of us, when we see bad things happening, we get this wrong view. Now, sometimes bad things happen because we just live in a broken world. You don't have to get drunk for a drunk driver to hit you, correct? So for us, a lot of times, we experience the consequence of other people's sins. But I think sometimes we have a wrong view of God. We think that sin, or rather 
punishment and bad things are the consequence of God getting mad at us. Almost like he's got a cosmic sin counter in heaven. You know, like when you're going on a ride at one of the theme parks and they have one of those little clicker things, you know, get one person, two person, three person, and you get to the end and that's how many it can hold. It's almost like for some of us, we think God's like that. One sin, two sin, three sin, lightning bolt, zap. As though he's waiting in heaven to blow us up. But friends, that is not the story of scripture. It is a rare thing that God comes against his people personally and forcefully. Rather, if you read the text, in fact, you see this in the book of Romans, where we're told that God simply gives us over to our sin because sin itself has consequences. Automatically, by itself, 100% of the time, if you do X, you get Y. So it's not God who comes against you when you have lied to cause the broken relationship. The lie itself breaks relationships, do you see? It's not God who necessarily who comes against you and damages trust when you cheat. The sin itself is what damages trust. It is the consequence of our sin. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. In other words, when you sin, there's a payment that is due and it is death. It is inherent to sin itself. God doesn't necessarily come against you, but he steps back and allows the consequences to happen. Do you know why God gave us the first commandment? You know the Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston, anyone? So he gives us the first commandment. You remember what it is. It's this one. You shall have no other gods before me. Why? Why does he say the first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me? Now, I know some of my unchurched friends, they look at this. They say the reason is because God is an egomaniac. He just needs you to praise him. He has a fragile ego. He needs to know that he's good. And so you telling him that he's good makes him feel really, really good. Is that the reason, church? No. Friends, the reason God gives us this command is mercy. God knows that there is no other God like him. There is no God except for Yahweh. He is the only God. And if you and I put anything else in the center of our lives, nothing is big enough, strong enough to hold all the parts of our lives together. The word glory, we talk about the glory of God. The Greek word for glory is doxa. Everyone say doxa. Doxa, glory, another word for that would be weight. If you have something big enough with enough weight, with enough mass, like say a planet, it creates its own gravity. Where other things like moons rotate around in its gravitational pull. In other words, it's big enough to hold the orbit of other things. The Bible says only God is big enough to hold the orbit of all the parts of your life together. And when you or I put anything else in the middle, put another God there, when we forget the stories, our lives fall apart. And you and I somehow, come on, don't we know what it's like when we put other things in the center of our lives? Some of you know the pain when you've thought that a relationship at the center of your life would be enough to hold everything together. And it's like in middle school or high school, you get that girlfriend, you're like, if I just get this girlfriend, everything's good. And then she breaks up with you. And what happens? It's all over. You feel heartbroken. Everything falls apart. Why? Because you thought that this one thing could hold everything together and it can't. Or you get that job or that career. And you think, if I just have the job, if I have the career, then everything else will work out. And then you find that your spouse or your kids are a distant second or third. And some of you know the pain of putting a career at the center of your life and watch as your family falls apart. Why? 
Because only God is big enough to hold everything together where it belongs. This is why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and all these things are added as well. Put God in the center. But the problem is you and I and I think our country and our nation and the world has forgotten the stories. We forgot these truths. We've forgotten what God has done and we're experiencing the consequences of that. In fact, I was thinking about it this week. Some of the things that I do when I read a text, I'll, I'll kind of start asking myself the question like, well, where do I see this play out in my life? Or where do I see this play out in other places? So I think this idea of the cycle and the idea of the stories brings with it some very interesting consequences and maybe some questions. For instance, let me just ask this question. Where do you see our nation in this cycle? Would you say that we're at that moment where we are trusting God as our savior? Would you say maybe we're in that point where we are experiencing the blessings of God because of our deep connection to him? And maybe we'd find ourselves in different places based on your point of view or perspective, but I think we all would say things are not as they ought to be. Why is that? It's because in just 247 short years, we have forgotten such important and basic things such as we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. You and I have a creator. Do you know that? That there is one God who created all things beautiful and perfect. But when we forget God, don't be surprised when everything begins to spin out of control. After all, John Adams said that our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern any other. So what about our nation? But let's go deeper because it's easy to throw stones at our nation, isn't it right? Those people out there, let's talk for a moment here. Because that's easy for Josh to get upset about what's happening on the news or in other places. But here's the better question. Not what part of the cycle is our nation in, but what part of the cycle am I in? What part of the cycle are you in? If you were to look at your life, would you say that you are at this moment where you have just come into relationship with God? Jennifer, that's where you are today. We are so excited for you. The joy of that moment. For others, you are experiencing the blessing of union with Christ. You're walking with him and you're experiencing what it means to have fellowship with God and the blessings that come. It doesn't mean life's easy or perfect, but it means you have confidence in the moment. And then for others of us, is it possible that some in this room, we've kind of gotten comfortable with our relationship with God. We've become so familiar with it that we've maybe thought that what we have is our doing. We've started to look at where we are and what has happened is we've forgotten the stories, what God has done to bring us to where we are. And then there are others in this room, let's be honest, some of us, we are in disobedience to God right now and he is disciplining us and it's not fun. And then there are others in this room, you are in the place where you are repenting and you're coming back to God and we celebrate that. By the way, as one theologian said, the story of the Christian life is one of ongoing repentance. Friend, don't forget, just because you are saved doesn't mean we don't keep repenting. I got to continue to repent. Where do you find yourself today? And I'm just going to lay this out there. If you have yet to come into a relationship with Jesus, before the day is over, I'm praying that you will come to know Jesus Christ, that God will save you today, and you can begin new life with Jesus. And that will begin the story of your testimony. 
Oh, I was right here. I was right there. I remember the moment that I was saved. I remember when my story began. It was when I was seven years old in the Antioch Church of Christ in their baptistry. They put me on a milk carton in the baptistry because I was so small at the time, they couldn't see my head out of the baptistry. I've always been built close to the ground. I remember that moment and I can point to these things. I can see where God has blessed me and I see where I've forgotten when God's disciplined and when I've repented. And then this becomes part of my story because he still saves even when I am not faithful. Tell them the stories. Do you have a story to tell? And maybe a better question or statement would be, you do have a story, don't you? What is your story? What was the moment when God met you? When was that place when things were just not going well and God showed up in a way that only he could? When was that moment where he brought you back even though you had been the prodigal child? What is your story? See, if you know the stories, you know how God works. If you know that God did this in the past, you'll see how God can work in the future. I think about with our kids and this is what happened some last weekend, what happens often in these moments. We tell the stories to our kids And they begin to piece it together like, oh, that's who I am. That's where I came from. I love it when my daughter Emma will ask me, hey, dad, will you tell me a story of when you were a kid? She usually asks when I'm putting her to bed. So she's smart like that. And so we've told some stories. And so they know some of my favorite stories. They know the story of when my sister, my youngest sister was in the dryer wanting me to come find her. I was annoyed with her. I ignored her. She kind of made fun of me. So I went in, I kicked the door of the dryer shut and turned it on. Ka-dung, ka-dung, ka-dung. They know that story. Uh, Don't don't do that, by the way, okay? (laughs) Just don't do that. They know the, the stories. They know the story of how my sister Megan had a tumor and we prayed and God removed, supernaturally removed the tumor that was wrapped around her spine. They know that story. And when you know how God has worked in the past, you get a sense of how God can work in the future. It gives you confidence that even when things are not well or good or right, how God can work in the future. My kids also know stories when things did not go well, when we prayed and God did not answer as we asked. And then they saw, though, how God still took care of us even through the pain. So when you see how God is faithful in the past, you have confidence that he will be faithful in the future. So the psalmist says, tell them the stories. This is why we're told in Hebrews 13 that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For when we know the stories, we have confidence in the moment. See, friends, too many of us are fearful in today's age because we've forgotten that our God beats armies. We have forgotten that our God topples cities. We have forgotten that our God provides in the wilderness. We have forgotten that our God calls sinners from death to life. We've forgotten that our God raises up peasants to kings. We have forgotten our stories. So tell the stories. What is your story? And here's the great thing. Your story is different from mine, which means the church is at her best when we don't sit in rows, but we share the stories in circles. See, what we're doing today, this is good. Come, be a part of the body here. But don't think this is the sum totality of following Christ. Be in a community. Unless you are in a small group, unless you are face-to-face with others, you will never know the stories of what God has done. So when things are at their worst, you will not know that God can be at his best. This is why the church shares the stories. Tell them the stories. Who is the them in this passage? 
the next generation. Verse 4. We will tell. Notice that it's not a we can or we might. It is a declarative. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his powers, and the wonders he has done. We live in a generational time where the next generation does not know the stories and they are being fed a whole lot of stories. I will not and you shall not. We cannot allow our children to believe the lies of this world. We cannot allow them to be experimented on, lied to, confused. We can no longer allow the stories of the world to define the future of our children. But the only way that changes is not when we get mad, but when we know the stories of God and we tell the stories of God to our children. Do you know what God has done? And are you personally telling your children, yes, bring them to church. But friends, we only get them for two hours a week. You have them for 168 hours. So you tell them the story. But Josh, I don't know my story. Let's go back to the circle. Have you been saved? Start there. Has God blessed you? Share that. Was there a moment of disobedience where you were disciplined by a loving God that caused you to repent. You know, sometimes we learn the best from people's bad decisions. Tell those moments to your children. This is where I failed, but where God was faithful in my failing. Tell the stories. And as we do that, we will join together with God one day in heaven. And do you know one of the things we're going to do for those innumerable years we're going to tell the stories I remember when God did this through you Monty Dennis you'll have told a story and we'll then in heaven talk about it and Jay and Debbie we're going to talk about your stories and we're going to celebrate God's victories through your life and we'll talk about how good our God was in the difficult times because around the throne we will simply say yay God it will be the highlight reel of heaven the stories so tell the stories today for if you know how God was faithful in the past you'll know how to trust him in the future so there's one story above all that we need to share this morning isn't there See, there is no hope if there was just a man named Joshua or Moses or Abraham. There's no hope if there was just a son named Isaac or a woman named Sarah. There is no hope unless there is one name and one story about this one name. His name is Jesus Christ. And the story begins that in the fullness of time, we're told, when it was just perfect, God sent his son, born of a virgin, who was without sin. He was without sin, and he lived like us, loved, but he showed us the way God designed. He died on a cruel cross for my sin and yours. He took my sin and he took yours. He took them into a tomb and on the third day, he left the sin there and he walked out of the tomb, inviting us into life. 